Hey there, hi there, and welcome everyone to the premiere episode of season two of Thinking is Cool. My name is Kinsey Grant, and I am a 20-something Scorpio journalist and perpetually single New Yorker now in recovery. I'm the host of this show, Thinking is Cool, and I've made it my mission to ensure that your next conversation is better than your last. Whether you have that conversation over a sexy aperitivo with a mysterious and beautiful first date or over a box of Girl Scout cookies with your roommate, you are welcome here. Because this show, it's all about making hard things fun. That's what she said. No matter who you are or what your story is. Sometimes the hard thing is talking about capitalism or politics or some other third rail issue. Sometimes it's harder than that. This is one of those times. We are talking about modern dating. Now, before I dive into today's exploration of dating apps, contemporary relationships, and the role algorithms play in determining the trajectory of our lives, I wanna say thank you. First, thank you to this season's presenting sponsor, Fundrise. If you know what Fundrise is, I am so proud of you. And if you don't, here are three out of context clues. Doorbell, dividend, Chriselle and Jason were inevitable. Keep listening this season for the whole scoop on Fundrise and all they can unlock. And second, thank you to all of you. It's because of your support that I'm here, starting the second season of my very own show. A lot in my life has changed in the last year, and your unwavering encouragement throughout the early days of Thinking is Cool has been both constant and invaluable. I'm grateful for all of you. It's time to kick off this wild ride. Welcome everyone to season two of Thinking is Cool. Nothing is off limits. Everything is on the table. Take it anywhere. And remember, thinking is cool. And so are you. Something I want to do this year? Learn how to rollerblade. My mantra is, that's showbiz, baby. Personal brand? Clumsy, but likable. 26 years old, college educated, podcast host, six feet tall, lives in Greenwich Village, social drinker. That and six photos that show a range of physical attributes from good with animals to New York 7 with a heart of gold, that's all potential suitors on Hinge got before deciding whether I might be the future love of their life, or at least their Friday night plans. I've dated, and I use the word dated very loosely, a healthy handful of men since I moved to New York City four years ago. All but one I found on Hinge. In my postgraduate social circle, the honest truth is this. If you're interested in making out with someone regularly and you didn't meet your significant other in college, if you hope to get either a free drink or a good story out of your night off, you have to swipe for it. You have to ask yourself, and more often than not, your trusted circle of single advisors, is he cute? Don't you know him? Did you make out with him last month? How pretentious is too pretentious for a Wharton grad? Does he look too close with his mom? It sounds clinical, and that's because it is. Like almost all single people born after about 1985, I spent four of my best, hottest years at the mercy of an algorithm. An algorithm I trusted to help me avoid the biggest fear that we as humans face, dying alone. Or dying alone and never getting laid before you do. This is the story of dating apps and their irrevocable impact on modern relationships. Let's jump in. I want you to think for a moment about the purpose of any piece of technology. 
it exists to solve problems. Our prehistoric ancestors couldn't keep warm or cook food, so they discovered fire. Our more recent forebearers couldn't stop people from dying of polio and measles, so they invented vaccines. Lizzo thought Chris Evans was hot, so she redefined the DM slide. Dating apps are a revolutionary piece of technology for how simple the pipes are. Depending on your age, location, sexual identity, and emotional intelligence, they can solve a number of problems. The need to have sex, the need to find a life partner, the need to get over someone. And when used correctly, they can be tremendously effective tech. But what happens to the ways we connect with other humans when we allow algorithms to tell us with whom we might want to someday grow old and gray? Is the proliferation of dating app usage a natural extension of our digital technology revolution, or is it something more sinister? Should we think about finding potential partners, whether for a night or for a lifetime, differently when an algorithm steps in to do the sorting? Could outsourcing the process of finding love make life easier? Or are we just screwing ourselves every time we swipe right or left? That's what we're thinking about today. The ways we've allowed technology to solve our problems and the ways those solutions can, at times, become problems themselves. Because even if you are one of those lucky few who managed to stay with your college significant other post-grad, the future of humanity, marriage, mortgage, kids, all of it, it now rests on the shoulders of engineers at Hinge, Tinder, and OkCupid. So dating apps, can they work? Are we better or worse off using them and relying on them? I mean, so many of us are on these apps, and I know they've made me feel certain ways, self-conscious, angsty, horny, angry, hopeful, idealistic. How can they work for us and make us feel happier? Let's talk to some friends and talk to some experts and find out. Real fast though, a word from our presenting sponsor this season, Fundrise. The best advice I could give to someone entering the dating scene would be one, never eat sushi or wings on a first date, and two, cast a wide net. Go on a lot of dates with a lot of different people. How else are you supposed to figure out that you get the ick when someone orders calamari as an entree? You have to try a lot of things to get a better idea of what you're looking for and what you want to avoid. Actually, the same advice kind of rings true for investing. You need a diverse portfolio of investments with some liquid assets and some physical assets too, like real estate. Private real estate has long been a sought after asset class, but one typically reserved for large investors because of the amount of money needed to start investing. But now, thanks to Fundrise, you can invest in real estate across the country with as little as $10. Fundrise is a simple, low-cost way to access real estate's historically consistent, strong returns. Fundrise manages everything in-house, so middlemen aren't taking a cut of the investors' returns. With Fundrise, you can live in New York City and own real estate in cities like LA, Orlando, even Denver. Fundrise has account levels from $10 to $100,000 that give you the flexibility to invest the right amount at the right time to meet your personal goals. Visit fundrise.com slash think. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash think to sign up for free today. And now back to the action. 
I watched the movie The Holiday last weekend. The premise of the movie goes something like this. Two smart, capable, attractive women are unlucky in love and simply fed up with it. They swap homes, one in LA and the other in the English countryside, to spend the holiday season away from their sad and lonely lives. While in each other's respective realities, they each find love in the most uncommon of places. Their stories are stories of dumb luck. And as much as I revere the post-feminist take on the rom-com, Hollywood heavy hitters have irrevocably damaged our expectations of what it really means to find a life partner. Movies like The Holiday perpetuate this idea that the only good, real way to meet someone is through sheer luck. It has to be fate. That's the ideal. You bump into them at a party. Your hands brush on the subway. You lock eyes at the DMV or the coffee shop or some other verifiably unsexy place, and that's it you just know. But let me ask you this. Is it just me, or is it a lot harder than you expected to end up in a devastatingly beautiful romance because a woman with bangs and doe eyes in an elevator heard you playing the Smiths? It's hard because it's not real. The meet-cute, which Hollywood invented in the 1940s, by the way, is dead. But that doesn't mean that romance is being buried along with it. Today, we just have a new means of finding the person whose morning yawn we have memorized by heart. It's perhaps a little less romantic, but it's tremendously effective. It's the advent, of course, of the dating app. See, for most of human history, those interested in settling down with a romantic partner relied on their existing social circles to find that partner. Friends of friends were introduced, chance encounters happened, and that was the way, for many years, that both Nancy Meyer's success and the bulk of the New York Times wedding announcements found their way. But today, meeting at a bar is considered, quote, the old-fashioned way, end quote, by the New York Times. Literally, they wrote that in a recent engagement announcement. And it's because dating apps have in large part displaced friends or chance as the dominant vector for a potential romantic relationship. In a study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, Stanford sociologist Michael Rosenfeld found that heterosexual couples are more likely to meet a romantic partner online than through personal contacts and connections. Since 1940, traditional ways of meeting partners through family, church, the neighborhood, they've all been in decline. And at the same time, dating apps have stepped in to do the work. 44.2 million people in the United States were on dating apps in 2020. And unsurprisingly, a pandemic that mandated distance was a boon for the apps. According to Wired, Hinge reported a 63% annual spike in downloads and a tripling of revenue in 2020. In May of 2021 alone, more than 6.5 million people downloaded Tinder. It's likely you already understand the prevalence of dating apps based either on your own personal experience or that of your single friends, or in the case of my parents, most certainly listening to this, your daughter's war stories. For that reason, I won't rehash the tragicomedy that is being single on the apps in your 20s and 30s. What I will do is tell you this. Dating apps are the real new normal. And yes, drink every time I say those words this season. They're the most common way people are meeting their spouse. Now, jury's still out on the top way people are meeting someone to text back and forth incessantly for three months before forgetting to respond one night, but my money's on dating apps for that too. It's an important part of the dating app story. Depending on your age, sexual orientation, needs, and app of choice, dating apps can really be whatever you want them to be. If you're looking for sex, you can find it on dating apps. If you're looking for a relationship, you might find that on dating apps too. 
Consider this from my friend, well, my sister's best friend who has become my friend, Michael Fundora, who is a member of the LGBTQ community and a regular user of the apps. I am on Tinder and Hinge, um, and I also use Grindr. Those are the big three, and there's kind of like an unwritten rule in the gay world of like Tinder and Hinge is where you go for dating, and Grindr is more of a hookup app. Michael continued to say this. If I want to like go hook up with someone right now, like I wouldn't get onto Tinder. It's too much work. The interface on Grindr is much more conducive to finding a quick hookup. Whereas in Tinder and Hinge, you have to like swipe and hopefully match. Grinder, you don't have to do that. There's no blockage there. You can just straight up message someone and be like, hey, what's up? In my experience, Hinge is where you meet people with more potential for something long-term. One of you told me Bumble is now chuggy. Tinder is where my cousin meets Brooklyn boys who only want one thing. The point is this, each app has its utility and it's up to the user to take advantage of that utility. Handing it over to Michael again. You can log on, make a file, you can filter out by like what you want. So like you can get rid of like a couple of things right from the get-go, you know? Like if you look at someone's profile and they say like, you know, I'm really into EDM and trans music and going to festivals. Like for me, like that's a big swipe left or uh, not, or whatever the equivalent <laughs> is for the other apps. Um, or, you know, so stuff like that. Um, so, you know, and then also like, you know, like everyone has their age range. Like I'm not like super ageist, I guess you can call it, but like, I don't want to date a 20 year old. Yeah. You know, like that's just a little that too young for me. Fair. At the same time, like I don't want to date like a 50 year old. It's just a little bit, a little, too, a little too high on my spectrum, you know? Yeah. So you can filter those out like right from the beginning and just be like, okay, cool. This is what I want. In the gay world, like for me, like, going to go into some details here but you know like i am i'm versatile like i can talk about them i can do whatever like i'm i'm into it all you know whereas there are a lot of people who like only do one or the other and like for some people you know in the gay community like sex is a big thing and like you know they want to make sure that like their sexual needs are being met so if you're a top and you never want to bottom you can filter out for that um so you know there's those are some pros you know you you can really like Look at what you want. What you want, that matters. To consider the real impact of dating apps and the technification of our relationships, we gotta start by understanding just how insanely convenient this tech can be, especially if more traditional means of meeting people, friends, family, work, aren't available to you based on either proximity or sexual identity. The luxury of choice is one worth appreciating. Sure, there is, of course, the famous paradox of choice. Having too many options gives us anxiety, but if you're someone who knows what you want, dating apps. On these apps, we're given a broader pool than we might encounter in our everyday lives, and we can filter based on behavior and physicality and Lord only knows what else. Consider this from the Wall Street Journal. Researchers from the University of Chicago found that online couples have longer, happier marriages. Their study of more than 19,000 participants found that the relationship quality of partners who meet online may be higher and the rate of separation or divorce lower than for partners who met offline. According to the study, the rate of marital breakups for respondents who met their spouse online was 25% lower than for those who met offline. Why, you ask? The research suggests that a greater pool of potential spouses might give users more options and allow them to be more selective. If you're hesitant about using technology when it comes to dating, 
um, the only person that you're hurting is yourself, I think. That was Lindsay Metzlar, host of the popular dating podcast, We Met at Acme. She is staunchly pro-dating app, and in truth, our conversation should have been an ad for Hinge. I'm with her, and that's in large part because of this point I'll let her make. I think dating apps are amazing, and I'm so pro dating apps because the reality is we all have our phones in our hand 24-7, and so anyone that you meet in the wild is also going to be on a dating app. So it's like a perfect way to, you know, assure that you will meet someone, especially if you're shy when you're going out. Um, But it also is really great because, you know, most dating apps, it's like you both swipe and then you match. Oh, this person's into me and I'm into them. And so there's no confusion. Whereas like if you are doing setups or things like that, one person might be being like forced into the thing. At least with a dating app, you both are like, I'm into you, I'm into you. And trust me, that goes a long way. Swiping is the new setup, and it's so much better than pretending you're interested in your friend's boyfriend's cousin's startup idea. But despite widespread use and seemingly endless applications, there remains something of a black box in the dating app ecosystem. One that remains largely mysterious, but in essence, holds the keys to future relationship happiness. The algorithm. The mechanics that govern what you do and don't see on Hinge, Tinder, Grindr, Field, Raya, or any other dating app. In truth, they're relatively simple. Many of them rely on patterns of stated preferences. What you feed the app, either in continued engagement with it or in the settings that you make yourself, that's what you see more of. It's a process called collaborative filtering. The app seeks patterns in whom you've said yes or no to. Then it attempts to figure out how those users resemble other users to predict which six foot one investment banker you might like best. (laughs) The more you use it, the more the algorithm gets to know you and effectively predicts your behavior. You have a type and Bumble knows it. It's not all that dissimilar from the algorithms behind TikTok's For You page or Amazon's purchase suggestions, as many have pointed out. Only dating app algorithms aren't serving you viral dances or toilet cleaning tools. They're serving you people. More on that after a short break to hear from the fine folks at Massacon. It's the typical 21st century love story. Boy and girl match on Hinge. Girl reviews boy's profile for obvious red flags, including fish pictures and gym selfies before sending a deeply strategic first message. Boy and girl exchange pleasantries and some lighthearted banter until boy finally locks down a date for Saturday night. Now it's Saturday night. If you're anything like me, you're gonna build in an extra 30 minutes into that pre-date primping to enjoy a glass of wine. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I'm more relaxed and maybe even a better conversationalist after just a little liquid courage. Before my first date with the boyfriend you're about to meet, I had a glass of my go-to. Massacon. At $30 a bottle, low in alcohol, and under 120 calories a glass, Massacon offers an affordable white wine option that does not budge on quality or on taste. And fun fact, Massacon is the only all-white wine winery in Napa Valley, and you guys know how I love my white wine. Pick up a bottle of Massacon today, available for purchase on the Massacon website at M-A-S-S-I-C-A-N.com, also in fine wine shops and in select Whole Foods nationwide this month. 
In a fantastic, albeit very mid-2010s piece, Tim Urban of Wait But Why wrote this, quote, when you choose a life partner, you're choosing a lot of things, including your parenting partner and someone who will deeply influence your children, your eating companion for about 20,000 meals, your travel companion for about 100 vacations, your primary leisure time and retirement friend, your career therapist, and someone whose day you will hear about 18,000 times. 18,000 times. And we're content letting an algorithm tell us who might be best suited to fill that position. It's the biggest and most natural uneasiness we have with dating apps. They feel like a really robotic solution to the very human ailment of loneliness. For all their promise, and trust me, I'll explain just how promising they can be in just a second, dating apps, like the perpetually single, have their pitfalls. Perhaps the biggest is that they're functions of human behavior. The algorithms can only work with what we feed them, and what we feed them is often garbage. We are human, which means we're flawed, biased, deeply set in our ways, and prone to telling mistruths. To err is human, yes, but we have to consider the intersection of our human proclivities and the technology in the palm of our hands. The internet is an inherently scalable piece of technology. The impacts of one person's decision rarely impact just that person. Here's more of my conversation with Michael. This is a really bad one that I find so horrendous. No chocolate, no rice, no spice. <gasps> no. awful? Like, people put that, like, on their profile. How does that not get reported? Is there is there any authority to which you can report that? I mean, yeah, you can report you can report profiles, but like, what's going to happen is their profile gets blocked and they just make another one, and then they post it up again. Wow, that's like really shitty. Yeah, it is. It's it's tough. That's why you know, like, you have to kind of. I, I feel bad for like like younger people like i remember like i didn't start using grinder until i was like 21 but like you know people who like first join when they're like i mean you're not supposed to until 18 but like obviously you know welcome to the real world right you know you have like 16 year olds joining and they're reading that and they're like oh wow people don't like me it's like no it's just some, some assholes out there you know michael's experience is horrific but not particularly unique The unfortunate reality is that we self-select in dating, and with the amplification of an algorithm serving us only people it thinks we will like, our types, regardless of how innocent or insidious they might be, are magnified and reinforced. The algorithm buttresses our biases and serves us more of what we know, and it certainly doesn't help us in terms of expanding our worldview. It's unfortunate especially given that we are hard-pressed to dream up a piece of technology more capable of giving us options than dating apps. But instead of dating outside of our comfort zones and physical types, we find ourselves incapable of comprehending just how many people are in front of us. Sometimes I wonder if paradox of choice becomes an issue with dating apps. I would say not necessarily for me because I found someone who I very much want to be in a relationship with, but... I think I've heard of, or I know of guys that, or women as well, that seem less likely to commit to someone that they met on a dating app, probably because they know that there are literally millions of other people on that app that they can swipe on. 
That was someone I will introduce you to in just a minute, but here's a hint as to his role in all of this. We keep a toothbrush at his apartment. Another important take, this time from someone who I have never shared a straw with. Here's Lindsay again. The biggest drawback that a lot of people talk about is this idea that while they are, these apps are putting a ton of people in front of you, they're also putting a ton of people in front of you in a bad way, that it almost becomes a game for a lot of users of these dating apps, that we're so used to this dopamine rush of getting a like back or matching with somebody that it becomes a game to try and, you know, find a real connection with someone. So it's this idea of like game, gamifying dating apps, um, just in, in terms of like sheer volume of people who are put in front of you every single day. I think it can happen if somebody's not ready to date and they are using the dating app just to sleep with people. Like that happens all the time. And that's something that we'll never be able to stop, unfortunately. Perspectives like Lindsay's serve to illustrate an important point. We are not always particularly happy with dating apps in theory, but we see few other options in practice. We've reached a point in the story of the internet at which sharing yourself online feels mandatory. If you want to fully immerse yourself in culture and conversation and the occasional makeout, you need to be online. It's hard to imagine why anyone who's single and looking right now wouldn't at least give the apps a try. For me, that idea brings up a question that I honestly have struggled to answer. We make decisions on dating apps about people we like or don't like based on two-dimensional representations of very much three-dimensional people. What does that say about us as humans? I think it says we're horny, we're visual, we are used to instant gratification, and a little bit that we're products of companies as much as they're products of us. To consider that idea, I turn to my co-founder and friend and former comrade in singledom, Josh Kaplan. Who is designing the system? Who is designing the technology? What are the morals put into it? What are the incentive structures? We know that we can ask those questions. We're, we're beyond the over-glorification of these tech idols. I don't know who's running Hinge. I don't know. I mean, we know Whitney Wolford is Bumble. I, I don't know who's running like Locks Club, which is for Jewish people that I just signed up for. Like what makes them particularly talented at creating this environment for me to meet somebody that I want to spend more time with and get to know better. And I just don't know enough about it. And it's like, I, I want to know those answers. Yeah. My friends have a, an interesting theory, my single friends of whom there are dwindling numbers, that the Hinge algorithm, especially where we are in New York, Hinge is kind of the de facto dating app. It's what everybody uses. It's like pretty reliable. They're, they have a theory that Hinge hides all of your good people behind the paywall. So you can either use Hinge free or you can use Hinge and pay for it. Hinge, through however many swipes you go through, knows the kind of people that you like. They're going to know what kind of they look like, what their height is, where they're from, what kind of school. They have all this information for the kinds of people that you are on paper attracted to. And they feed it. They like breadcrumb it to you. <laughs> Here's who you could send a rose to today if you paid Mm, I don't know, maybe you would be engaged if you just paid for Hinge and you would get all the good people. Like That is the theory. So you're only kind of getting the rubbish unless you pay, which feels pretty fucked up. Like I, It makes me mad. And then I'm like, okay, well, that's business. Are you asking me to get premium on these dating apps on the corporate card in the name yes. of good journalism? In the name of good journalism, you must. I paid for porn. <laughs> In the first season, no, you can pay no, for dating apps in the second season. 
<laughs> what are you what are you raising money for? Well, I got to go on a bunch of dates over the next Yeah. Sorry. I, I hate the roast thing. The road thing is terrible. It's to say this person is in high demand on the platform. And if you want access to send them a push notification, you can give me $5. But that doesn't sound very capitalist of you. I'm conflicted. (laughs) It's weird, right? (laughs) No capitalism in the bedroom. We can complain all we want about the shortcomings of dating apps, the gamification, the lack of content controls, the cognitive overload, you name it. But there's a reason I'm not really interested in hearing the corporate point of view from these apps leaders. The business model and the idea of profiting from our search for love is whatever. To me, the biggest tragedy of modern dating at the behest of the dating apps is the epidemic of absent empathy. That scruffy sounding voice you heard earlier, that person who puts toothpaste on my toothbrush sometimes, that was my boyfriend, Coleman. We met on Hinge earlier this year, and every day since I met him has been better than the last. We're a dating app success story, but the honest truth is that ours is one I waited years for. I went on so many first dates that honestly I lost count. Some were fun, some were surprising, but more than I care to admit, we're simply sad. The feeling of sitting across the table from someone completely devoid of empathy, someone who sees you as nothing more than a conquest, it's demoralizing. It's hard. And we're all guilty of it. We know from econ class that scarcity can be a powerful force. And faced with a dating world bereft of anything even resembling scarcity, we've gamified something sacred. Call me a hopeless romantic, but shouldn't finding love be a little more poetic than giving yourself carpal tunnel syndrome from scrolling through an endless barrage of faces while you're also watching Netflix? In all of the interviews that I did for this episode, I never once used the word romance when talking about modern dating. We all have different definitions of romance, but regardless of how you classify it, I want more. I think we're capable of more as smart people who are becoming increasingly aware of the negative impacts technology has had on our lives. What happens to us when we allow corporate entities to take ownership of arguably one of the biggest decisions we can make, choosing a partner? It's not a question I'm interested in answering, and that's where we come in. I'm going to bring Josh back in for a moment. Start with a simple question, and that question is, are you single or taken at the moment? I am single. How long have you been single? I've been single for... Depends how you define it. It's a little nuanced. I'd say all of 2021, I can say. Okay. And how do you feel about that? Mm, not particularly great, but it's also, it's been my fault, I would say. I have been thinking about this also, knowing that you were going to ask me hard questions, and I've lived in a lot of different places this past year. Even like, I spent some time in Miami living at home, which wasn't really great for dating. Lived in my old apartment, which wasn't great for dating, living with a bunch of other people. Just moved into my own spot. We just launched another big part of our company, so it's like, I don't feel great about it, but it's, it's been self-inflicted, so I don't really think I have anybody else to blame other than myself. I don't think you have to blame your single dumb on anybody. Well, it's <laughs> I, sometimes, you, sometimes you're sitting there and you're like a little frustrated about dating and whatever it might be. And you're like, yeah, look, like right now it's on me. First of all, thank you to Josh for being so refreshingly honest in his assessment of the dating experience. And second, consider Josh's evaluation of being single on the apps. You, you mentioned something that made me realize the concept of failure on the dating apps is 
very much there, right? Like you might swipe and not get a match. You might meet on a date and not click. If I order off Amazon and don't get my package, I'm pissed. If I get an Uber and the Uber doesn't come, I'm pissed. Like all these other apps are guaranteeing convenience and success to the point where if they're not the most convenient and the most successful, you're out, you're out the door. You're gonna go find another solution. You're gonna go use something else. But on the apps, it's incredibly prevalent to fail. And we're not used to failing online. I love and respect Josh, but I think I disagree. It's not a failure to go on a bad date. It's not a failure to go on three bad dates. When we conflate the idea of finding a long-term romantic relationship with the relatively commonplace concept of meeting new people on the internet, that's when we set ourselves up for failure. That's why I suggest a rebrand. Let's stop calling them dating apps and start calling them meeting apps. In a piece I referenced earlier, Tim Urban also wrote this, quote, I think this is a no-brainer positive development. The key thing is that it's not online dating, it's online meeting people, followed by in-person dating. The first step in ending up with the right person is meeting the right person. And for something so important in our lives, we've had no real system for doing it efficiently and intelligently, end quote. Until now. I think we've been thinking about it all wrong. There's no solution for getting to know a person in person. The pandemic taught us as much, but... Dating apps aren't online dating. They're online meeting people, which gives us the opportunity to get to know one another in person on a silver platter. The biggest struggle that I faced in really coming to terms with the idea of meeting my partner on a dating app is superficial, in all honesty. When people ask Coleman and me how we met, I kind of cower at the idea of saying, hinge. I've allowed myself to fall into some weird trap of thinking that the only real way of finding someone is by chance encounter, some really romantic meet-cute that, like I said before, doesn't exist. Now I say we for a reason. I asked for hot takes about dating apps on Twitter and almost everyone who reached out said they don't want to meet a significant other on an app. They want the chance encounter, as if somehow that makes for a better story. Handing the mic back to Lindsay for a second. Probably the people who met organically like think that they're better than the people who met on apps and, you know, whatever. And I also feel like they're part of the reason that there is a stigma for apps, which there shouldn't be, but is because people are like, oh, well, I really wanted to meet someone. So I went on a dating app. And these people who meet IRL organically are like, oh, well, I wasn't looking. And then like we reach for the same coffee and then, you know, and it's like, one is not better than the other. Like everyone who met their partner organically, I can assure you, was also on dating apps. It just happened to work out that way. So here's what we need to do. We need to stop feeling weird about saying we met on Hinge and start feeling confident in saying we found each other on Hinge and got to know each other over a glass of wine in the West Village and started to really like each other on these long, aimless walks around lower Manhattan and probably fell in love over a plate of mozzarella sticks in Brooklyn. Our problem isn't finding love. Our problem is meeting people. At least it has been until now. I said I had a dating app success story and no offense to my thoughtful, considerate and very handsome boyfriend, but I've had a lot of success stories by this new definition of dating apps as meeting apps. I've had shitty dates, dates so bad I couldn't make it through one drink, dates so unbelievable I was texting the group chat under the table and not a single one up until I met Coleman turned into a relationship. But that doesn't mean I didn't succeed in meeting new people. 
It's not about being good or being bad at using dating apps. It's about understanding their utility and not expecting too much. I think people hate dating apps because they expect too much. Temper those expectations and let love in, my friends. Should that not be the lesson for every tech tool that hands us relationships of any sort for Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok? We've reached a point at which we are inextricable from the tech in our hands. I'm not sure if that's a good thing, but I don't think it's entirely a bad thing either. The tech lash is real and really necessary. It's important to hold technologists and CEOs and engineers to account, but it's also important to recognize how amazing and enriched they've made some aspects of our lives. We can work to ensure that platforms like Hinge and Tinder and Grindr and the algorithms that govern them are equitable and responsible and intelligent, but we can also thank our lucky stars that now there's a way to meet people we otherwise never would have met. This is a conversation about dating apps, yes, but it's also about all of the tech that helps us form relationships. Take a moment to think about how truly paradigm-shifting it is that we can meet people on the internet, meet people from parts of the world we'd never, ever considered. Parts of the world like San Diego. That's where Coleman grew up, roughly 2,178 miles from where I grew up in Tallahassee, Florida. We have vastly different lives. He's an engineer. I'm an internet person. We don't listen to the same music. We both love Joan Didion, but we're also both not ambitious enough to join some Joan Didion book club. He's mid-century modern. I'm Scandinavian minimalist. There was no reason for us to meet. Our lives really had no overlap for 26 years up until the spring of this year. I found him because of Hinge, because we liked each other's photos and he messaged me something cute. For all the matches with bad boys, non-committal boys, boys with big egos, and boys only looking for something physical, the algorithm finally gave me a man worth pursuing. We showed up on a first date just like we both had countless times, but this time, it was more than the typical polite banter. It was worth giving a shot. When you really find yourself in the depths of love, and I mean the kind of love that you feel so much it almost aches, You don't want to admit that some engineer somewhere in the Hinge corporate office was instrumental. You want to think it's fate. You want to believe that you would have found your way to that person somehow. But the truth is, you might not have. Do you think that we would have met if we didn't meet on the dating app? Uh, I mean, I don't know who's to say. Answer honestly, you don't have to lie to me. I feel like there's a chance. Like, I think we have enough overlapping interests that we might have bumped into each other. What are our overlapping interests? Uh, what do you mean? We're going to the restaurants and cafes and parks. Okay. <laughs> well, you feel like we don't? I know. I think we have, a, I, we have a lot in common, but I don't know. I've been grappling with the idea of like fate versus something that you engineer for yourself. Right. I think that in reality, it's probably a mix of the two. Like, it's, it's a lot more romantic to say that you were meant to be in my life and, like, I would have found you somehow, but yeah, I probably wouldn't have. We grew up on opposite sides of the country. True. We work in different fields. We live in different neighborhoods. Yeah, we ended up in the same city, though. Yeah. I don't know. I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not 100%, like, in the fate camp. I definitely do think, like... In a lot of ways, relationships are... I mean, you have to start with something, but they are what you make of them. 
gone soft. It happened really fast, but I found happiness on an app. What can I say? Now, that might not happen for you. In fact, my anecdotal research suggests that it likely won't happen for you if you're single and on the apps, but the possibility of meeting someone, even if that someone is gonna break your heart, it's infinitely larger on the dating apps than it is walking through the grocery store. It's a lesson in recognizing that for all of the horniness and angstiness the internet has bred in our generation, it's also done some pretty magical shit for us. I said I disagreed with some of Josh's assessment of dating apps and their roles in modern dating culture. So what did I tell him after the recording ended? Went something like this. Don't take yourself so seriously. Since I'm not an expert, I'm just a girl who's had like one nice boyfriend and thinks she's an expert now, I did ask an expert, Lindsay. Talk to them as if like they're a friend because the worst case scenario if you do is that like they don't get it and they don't get you. And the best is that they feel like wow, this person is not just every other person on this app and there's someone I could really talk to. And my final piece of dating app advice for anyone using them, liking the office is not a personality trait. The best part of the dating app story is this. We are still so early. We are in the very first inning of what tech-enabled relationships might look like. There's evidence to suggest that the idea of matching people based on their answers to a questionnaire has been around since, like, the 60s, but real online dating didn't crop up until the 90s. There is so much we still have to learn about broadening our pools and weeding out the bad matches. And we get to be part of that story. The apps and their algorithms change as we use them, so logic suggests that we exercise some control over what happens next. The lesson in all of this? Hold a mirror up to the way that you use technology. Dating apps like Hinge and Tinder can't solve all of our problems, but they can solve one, introducing us to new people with whom we might have a connection. If we recognize that this is online meeting and not online dating, we can make the most of the algorithms without expecting too much. I think we need to take that attitude into our use of technology across the board. And even more importantly, we need to recognize that we can utilize a tool while still constructively criticizing it. That's how we ensure a positive outcome to the natural extension of the new world order, one in which we expect a quickly shipped algorithm to make important decisions for us. Marriage, sex, friendship, it doesn't matter what we're after. The internet has changed everything for this generation and for future generations to come, and that's okay as long as we recognize that we can put ourselves in the driver's seat. And of course, that ethical non-monogamy is a sham. So here's my ask. Take these questions to the group chat or the Slack or your dinner table. Do you think differently of couples that met on dating apps? What's your gut reaction when you hear the words, we met on Hinge? If you're single, do you think your relationship with dating apps is healthy? Do you pay for them? Do you lie about yourself on them? Do you show your friends your profile? What do you think dating app technology shows us about the future of our relationships with tech and with each other? Fast forward 20 years, what does dating look like? Think about it, ask your friends about it, and report back on what you find out. Remember, thinking is cool, and so are you. See you next time. 